Welcome back to Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope alongside Griffin Strom on a big week for the Ohio State football team as the Buckeyes prepare to play Penn State at the shoe. We'll see if Penn State actually makes it because James Franklin said on Tuesday that he his all of his focus is on playing Illinois in the big house. So we'll see if the Nittany Lions actually make it to Columbus Griffin, but I, I know Ohio State's ready for a big game against Penn State. Seems like James Franklin has a couple other things on his mind this week, Dan. Uh, at least that appears to be the case in the press conference today, but he should be focused on Ohio State because the Buckeyes keep just looking better and better every week the past three games against the Big Ten uh, competition here. Yeah, we'll get into that Penn State matchup later. Uh, Certainly uh, one of the biggest games of the season for the Buckeyes, even with Penn State coming off of a couple losses, still a game that at least I think, I think we probably both think is going to be the biggest test Ohio State has faced since that loss to Oregon in the second game of the year. So a really big game coming up on Saturday night, and we will uh, spend plenty of time talking about that later in the show. But first, want to talk about what we saw in Bloomington, because it was impressive. It was really impressive. And this is a team that just seems like it's getting better and better every week. And you know, we talked about last week, we thought Ohio State was probably going to be able to win pretty big against Indiana, but we still felt like it was a step up in competition. It feels like these last four weeks have been progressive kind of steps up slightly a little bit each week in terms of competition from Akron to Rutgers and Maryland and Indiana. And Ohio State's just been passing all of these tests, a, a truly dominant performance on Saturday night with a 54 to seven win over Indiana and really a game where in all phases, Ohio State was excellent. Dan, Ohio State's offense went six for six in the first half. We're talking touchdowns on each drive to open the game. Extremely impressive. I mean, what else can you say? Every time they got the ball, they scored a touchdown. Seven of the eight first drives for the Ohio State offense in general. And Dan, I mean, another great performance of CJ Stroud, 21 for 28, 266 yards, Four touchdowns, zero interceptions. Dan, this Ohio State offense is averaging 41.3 points per game in the first half of the last three games alone. And that's when you saw after the first half, after that six-for-six performance from the Ohio State offense, they didn't really need to do anything after that. And things kind of stalled a little bit there for the the first-team offense on the first drive or so coming out of halftime. But it didn't really matter because everything was already done by the time halftime happened. Yeah, I mean— to just look at these last three games as a whole, since since C.J. Stroud got that week off against Akron and he came back against Rutgers, in the last three games as a whole, they've been stopped once. The, the only time the first half, the only time the first team offense has actually been stopped by the opposing defense was that opening drive of the third quarter against Indiana where Ohio State went free and out and had to punt. Other than that, the only two times Ohio State's first team offense of C.J. Stroud hasn't scored since the start of a Rutgers game was the end of the first half of both the Rutgers and Maryland's game where Ohio State decided to let the clock run out. Other than that, they've scored every time they've had the ball when C.J. Stroud has been on the field. So all in all, if you want to include those end of first half drives, you could say Ohio State has scored on all but three of its possessions when C.J. Stroud has been in the game in the last three games. If you don't include those, you can save you can save it. Ohio State on drives where they were trying to score scored on twenty one consecutive drives 
from the start of a Rutgers game through the end of the first half against Indiana when C.J. Stroud and their first-team offense was on the field. 20 of those drives, including 19 in a row, were touchdowns. So that right there illustrates just how unstoppable this Ohio State offense has been, where every single time they're getting the ball right now, they're scoring. And there's going to be tougher tests to come up. This week against Penn State is is right there as a game where it's going to be a bigger barometer of how good this Ohio State offense actually is. But if you just look at what they've done in the last three games, this offense has become everything we thought it could be this year. It is the best offense in the country right now. It's playing at an absolutely elite level. And that's why people are talking about this team as a very real national championship contender again. Because if they can keep playing offense like this, they are absolutely capable of beating anybody in the country. And one reason for that offensive success this season is because Ohio State really is utilizing all of its wide variety of weapons right now on offense. We've talked about this the last couple weeks as well. It was very true again of this game, Ohio State-Indiana, because if you look at just the receiving, Jackson Smith and Jigba had six catches for 99 yards. First of all, no receiver even had 100 yards, which I think is a good thing because it goes to show how well the the ball is being spread around from C.J. Stroud. Six catches for Jackson Smith and Jigbo was the the leading mark for wide receivers. 99 yards. Garrett Wilson, five catches for 59 yards. Jeremy Ruckert, a career-high five receptions, two touchdowns for him. That was big because we haven't seen a whole lot of Jeremy Ruckert this season, even though we were kind of promised that he would get more looks this year in in his final year. But now, as we looked up this week, Jeremy Ruckert actually has his most ever catches in a single season this year now with 16, I believe it is. So he's getting the ball more in the offense. Chris Olave is a guy, he only got two catches, but he's still at a touchdown. So still a pretty decent performance for him. But a lot of guys got the ball, Dan. And that's to say nothing about the performance of one Travion Henderson, who continues to be stellar for Ohio State in his true freshman season. That stat is wild to me, by the way, that Jeremy Ruckert, has 16 catches for 186 receiving yards this year, and those are both career highs for him. It certainly illustrates the fact that Ohio State just doesn't throw the ball to its tight ends that much, but still, like those numbers take me back a bit because I just think of Jeremy Ruckert as a guy who I really do believe is one of the best tight ends in the country, even though he hasn't gotten the ball a ton. And you see it, when those opportunities come his way, he typically does make the play. You know, we knew realistically, he was never going to put up massive numbers this year because he had to compete for targets with Garrett Wilson and Jackson Smith and Jigba and Chris Olave. But he's capable of making those plays. And, you know, it's funny because you, you talk about those stats right there, that goes right back to the point that everybody always makes about how Ohio State doesn't throw the ball to the tight ends. But Jeremy Ruckert is two touchdowns away from breaking Ohio State's school record for the most touchdown catches by a tight end. So... That's always been a thing at Ohio State. It's not like Ohio State has ever really thrown the ball to the tight end a ton. And, and Jeremy Ruckert, you know, I don't know if he's going to break that, you know, school receptions record for a tight end like they were talking about earlier this year. He'd need to uh, pick up a pace here to make that happen. But he, he's going to, I'd be very surprised if he doesn't break that record for school touchdown receptions by a tight end for his career. So Jeremy Ruckert is going to end up leaving Ohio State as one of the best tight ends in school history even without being a consistent target in the offense. And I think, like you said, that's just one more thing that illustrates 
how loaded this offense is because we talk so much about Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave and Jackson Smith and Jigba is becoming a guy that we're talking about a lot more. I mean, Jackson Smith and Jigba actually has more receiving yards for the season now than Chris Olave. And Chris Olave might be the best receiver in the country. So all of that illustrates how good this offense is, how loaded this offense is. I mean, even seeing a guy like Marvin Harrison Jr., who we really haven't seen play much this year, he made a couple nice plays. Uh, he made one on offense where he, he kind of got to moves and ahs with his you know spin move and juke move in the open field. He also made a big play on special teams, uh, forcing a safety on a punt. This offense is just so loaded with weapons that, truthfully, I think there's guys like Emeka Abuka and Marvin Harrison Jr. who, if they were playing on just about any other team in the country, they'd be playing massive roles on offense right now. But this offense is so loaded with weapons that they don't even need to consistently utilize all of the stars that they have. And we, and we got to talk about what Travion Henderson did on Saturday because, once again, he was amazing for Ohio State. So coming into the game in terms of the outlook at running back, Master Teague and Marcus Crowley were unavailable for the game. We learned on Tuesday that Marcus Crowley actually has a long-term injury, so it does not look like we'll be seeing him anytime soon for the Buckeyes moving forward, which we assumed those unavailabilities meant that Travion Henderson and the returning Mayan Williams were going to see the bulk of the touches at running back. So Travion Henderson comes out. Takes a big hit on the first play of the game, Dan. Then the ne- he stays in for the next play, but then leaves for the rest of the series. Mayan Williams gets to come in, has a, an 11-yard touchdown run. Looks really good on the opening series for a guy that had missed the last couple games. Of course, everyone's kind of holding their breath in terms of Buckeye fans wondering, did something happen to Travion Henderson again? Because he's had a couple little injury things here and there this season. However, he comes back into the game, does not skip a beat at all. Ends up scoring three touchdowns in the first half on just 10 touches, 95 yards combined. He had one, a 14-yard touchdown reception and two other touchdown runs, a 25-yard run mixed in there as well. He didn't even have to touch the ball again in the second half because, again, he'd already done the damage. He scored three touchdowns on Ohio State's first six drives, and he missed one of those drives entirely. And now he's got 14 total touchdowns on the season as just a freshman. There's five games left in the season, Dan. I think Maurice Claret is probably thinking to himself now that his his freshman touchdown record, which is 18, is not going to stand for very much longer if Henderson continues to do the types of things that he's proven capable of doing so far. Yeah, CFB stats has decided it doesn't really want to load for me as we're talking here, but I think if I'm looking at it correctly that Travion Henderson has 14 touchdowns on 88 total touches this year. So those are pretty absurd numbers. I mean, he, he is scoring a touchdown almost one in every six times he's touching the ball. So imagine what his numbers could be if he was getting even more touches. Because a lot of these games, Travion Henderson is getting single-digit carries, and he already has 693 rushing yards for a year, still averaging 8.8 yards per carry. He's on pace right now to not only break Maurice Claret's freshman touchdown record he's on pace right now to break Pete Johnson's school record for the most total touchdowns scored in a season so the pace that he's on right now is remarkable I mean I I think of how good J.K. Dobbins was four years ago and I think this is at a different level the kind of plays that Travion Henderson is making on a week in and week out basis he already has three games with three touchdowns. He scored a touchdown in every single game he's played as a Buckeye so far. And 
you think you can already make a very strong case that Travion Henderson is a top five, maybe top three. I mean, you could even make a case that he's the best running back in the country. That's that's how well Travion Henderson is playing right now. When we get into talking about Heisman stuff, I, I think the fact that he's not getting 25 touches a game is probably going to keep him from winning the Heisman Trophy. But I think... Yeah, you know, he's he's certainly a guy who's you know in the mix right now for you know all American teams and you know Doak Walker Award finalists. He's he's certainly right in the mix of that conversation right now, which for a, a true freshman is uh, remarkable. And you know, I think for Ohio State, I think they kind of like the fact that they only need him to touch the ball ten times a game right now because they want to keep him fresh for that second half of the season. You know, I think if there's one question I'd have at all about Travion Henderson right now, it's, you know, we're talking about a guy who didn't play high school football last year. He's never played a college season. It's over the course of a 14, 15 game season. Can Travion Henderson continue to perform at this level all year long? But I think if you don't need him to run the ball 20 to 25 times a game and I think there will be a time this year where Ohio State needs him to run the ball 25 times a game, but they haven't yet, and I think that's a good thing because you're keeping him fresh for this home stretch of a season. Yeah, I've heard a few Buckeye fans saying like, oh, I want to see Trayvon Henderson get the ball 20, 20 to 25 times a game, and my thing with that is if you don't have to, then why would you? Because if he only has to touch the ball 10 times in the first half to have almost 100 yards and three touchdowns, and you're up by 34 points or whatever it is at halftime... You don't need to milk the man anymore. I mean, the fact that he can get rest in a Big Ten game is a good thing. And the fact that he did rest against Indiana allowed a guy like Evan Pryor, another true freshman, to get a lot of carries in the game. He actually led the team in attempts on Saturday with 11. And damn, we might see Evan Pryor a little bit more going forward because we've seen almost all of the running backs this year have had some injury issues in this group. And they've played four running backs in games before, and now they're down to... Three at the moment. We don't know what's happening with Master Teague necessarily. He'll probably get back in the mix here pretty soon. I honestly forget what Ryan, Ryan Day said. said this week that, that Master Teague will be back this week. Right, right, right. So, but still, I mean, we, we never know what happens. Brian Williams, Master Teague, even Henderson, they've had their bumps and bruises this season. So Evan Pryor, a guy that had 48 yards on 11 carries, graded out as a champion for the first time for Ohio State this week. He's a, he's a guy that we actually could see in some spots just out of necessity for Ohio State, and he looked good in the game on Saturday. Well, yeah, and that's all the more reason to be careful with Travion and not overwork him when you don't have to because the running back depth is a little bit suspect right now. You know, I mean, the fact that you moved to Steel Chambers to linebacker, that's, you know, certainly certainly that was the right move the way Steel Chambers is playing at linebacker. You know, even at Demario McCall, you moved him out of that room. You moved him uh, to cornerback early in the season. They don't have... They, they've had really good depth at running back, but they don't have, like, a huge number there to where, okay, if two guys, you know, one guy's already out for the season. You have a couple other guys who have been banged up dealing with stuff. You get to the point where you don't have like a ton of depth there if if injuries, more injuries were to strike. And so uh, I think that is all the more reason for them to be cautious with Travion and not play him in situations where the game's already completely in hand and, and you could be risking uh, him getting injured. But 
like you said, Evan Pryor, uh, I thought he performed well in limited action against Indiana. That's an encouraging sign if, if he becomes a guy that can make an impact for them there down the stretch of a season. The last three games have kind of mirrored each other in certain ways, Dan. And one of those ways is it's hard not to, to talk about the offense first when you're breaking down these last three games for Ohio State. But we cannot get too far down in this podcast right now without talking about what the defense has done because another game in which the defense really showed up, aside from that opening drive for Indiana where they came down and scored the ball, of course, people at that point are saying, oh my God, is it the same defense that we saw at the beginning of the season and last season? No, the the defense comes back, does not allow another point for the entire game, Dan, ends up holding Indiana to 128 total yards, which is a staggering number. Of course, Indiana's offense was handicapped by the fact that not only did they come in without Michael Penix, their regular starter at quarterback, they also ended up playing three other quarterbacks outside of Penix in the game, down to their four-string quarterback, down to, down to a walk-on in the game. And none of those guys had very much success, if we're being honest, Dan. And the statistics go to show that because 128 yards on the ground, 48 yards... I mean, what can you say about the Ohio State defensive effort against Indiana on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, certainly the fact that Jack Tuttle got hurt at the end of that first drive after he led the team down the field, certainly that made an impact on the way the rest of that game played out. I I don't think that if Jack Tuttle had stayed healthy and played the entire game, that Indiana would have only scored seven points on 128 total yards. With that being said... Would you have guessed after the Oregon game that we'd ever be talking about this Ohio State defense holding an opponent to 128 total yards? I would not. I would not. So we got to give him credit for that because, again, much like you know with the offense, I mean, if the defense does seem like it's getting better and better every week, and I do think it's certainly fair, and we should qualify that with the fact that I don't know if they've faced a great offense I don't really think they're going to this week either against Penn State and we'll talk about that in a little bit but nonetheless you know, this is a defense fit right now they're ranked in the top 20 in the country in scoring defense I mean again that is not some a stat that just about anyone would have guessed after that Oregon game and you got to give a lot of credit to Matt Barnes and his defensive coaching staff because they really have. I mean, I remember when we had Kyle Jones on and and we asked him about whether they'd be able to fix the defense. And in his mind, he did not think it was going to be possible for them to make a midseason change of defense. And Kyle Jones is one of the smartest football guys I know. So if that's what he thought, that tells you how unusual it is that a team can just install a new defensive scheme midseason and have it work as well as it has for Ohio State. So you got to give those guys a lot of credit for figuring this thing out, for, for getting this thing back on track. Yeah, they started out the game, had one bad series, but then the rest of the game, Indiana never even came close uh, to scoring again. So uh, an excellent performance uh, by the Ohio State defense. And again, it, Part of a game Indiana was playing a walk-on. Part of a game Indiana was playing a true freshman quarterback. And so those are caveats. It's not as if Ohio State dominated some good offensive team. This was nowhere near the same Indiana team that put up 490 yards and, uh, what was it, 30, 28 points, 38, 35 points on Ohio State 
last year, it wasn't the same team. And so we talked about it last week. I mean, how many points would be to scare you if, if, if Indiana, uh, how many points would Indiana have to score to scare you about the Ohio State defense? We were both like low 20s. So Ohio State's defense was expected to be able to handle Indiana's offense, but I don't think either of us expected seven points and 128 yards. What we didn't see from the Ohio State defense this week, Dan, was an interception return for a touchdown. That streak is now broken, the historic no, streak. No takeaways. No takeaways, yeah, which is shocking because of how kind of inept the, the Indiana offense was in, in the quarterback play specifically. But they didn't even throw the ball all that often in Indiana. They really didn't have the ball all that often either or just the opportunities to make plays in the passing game. 17 pass attempts, only eight completions. But what we did see from the Ohio State defense was a whopping 14 tackles for loss, which was a very promising sign. Obviously, like we said, Ohio State completely shut down the Indiana rushing game. And with the situation at quarterback, it's just obvious to to read the cards here and realize that Indiana was just not able to do anything on offense. Five sacks for the Ohio State defense as well. Two of those sacks coming from guys that we had really pointed to as guys that needed to step up and get some sacks for the Ohio State defense. Talking about Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith, the two guys that entered the season as the Ohio State starters at defensive end. Both of those guys got a sack. Zach Harrison probably could have had a couple more. One of them was called back for, I believe, a holding call on Cam Brown in the secondary in the third quarter. On the same series, Zach Harrison got another tackle for loss on a quarterback, but it was called just a rush attempt for the quarterback, not a sack. But the fact that both of those guys, Tyreek Smith and Zach Harrison, both did actually tally a sack, I think is good for their momentum and good for their confidence. And it just shows that some of the veteran guys have heard the call and are now stepping up and actually producing with stats like that. Yeah. Indiana's offensive line is not good at all. And I said that last week and uh, that was proven correct. And so again, we have to consider the competition here, but nonetheless, Ohio state now with five sacks in back-to-back games, uh, 14 tackles for loss for most of a year. So certainly an encouraging sign to see that, to see the defensive line, really dominate a game in a way I don't think we had seen before Saturday. And, you know, I had mentioned it, you know, in my midseason evaluations that I thought, you know, that defensive end group in particular was one that we really needed to see step up more that I thought had been disappointing in the first half of the year. So I think uh, it was a strong start to the second half of a season for that group. I know that Jack Sawyer, JT Tuimolowau, made some plays as well, in addition to the guys you mentioned. And uh, they're healthy now. That defensive line is the healthiest it's been all year. You know, really, other than Tyler Friday, who's out for the season, they finally got pretty much everybody back there. You know, with Zach Harrison, Tyreek Smith, Javante Jean-Baptiste, Jack Sawyer, JT Tuimolowau at defensive end, and then, you know, a lot of guys at defensive tackle between Haskell Garrett, Jerron Cage making his first start of a season, uh, Teron Vincent, Antoine Jackson, Tyleek Williams, uh, Mike Mike Hall got in there. I Ty Hamilton was the other one, but I forgot. And he, Ty Hamilton was a first time champion against Indiana, so they got a lot of pieces there. Again, that's a group that we expect to be able to dominate games. And I thought Saturday was the first time where you could really come out of it saying they did dominate the game. Two guys, I think we should shout out on defense. One of them. A guy that's, let's be honest, has been very maligned by the fan base this year. Started out as a captain at linebacker. Tommy Eichenberg has since kind of lost that spot as a starter. However, two tackles for loss for Ohio State. Four, to- four total tackles. He, Him and Steel Chambers both graded out as champions. Cody Simon did not. 
Taraji Mitchell did for special teams, not necessarily for his linebacker play on the day. Another guy, Court Williams, was a first-time champion as well for Ohio State. He made a big tackle for loss in that game that looked nice. He's he's been he's gotten I think at least twenty-two snaps for the last four games or something like that for Ohio State. So he's a guy that has seemingly gotten some some real reps here and looks like a guy that is really nestling into that backup bullet role behind Ronnie Hickman. It'll be interesting to see if he continues to get the same amount of snaps in some of these more competitive, potentially more competitive Big Ten games down the stretch. Yeah, I walked up to you while we were waiting for breakfast on Sunday morning, and I asked you who you thought uh, would would have had the highest pro football focus grade on defense for the game, and you guessed Steel Chambers, who I believe was actually second, but it was Tommy Eichenberg, and I, I think Tommy Eichenberg has played really well the last couple of games, and so uh, I was going to shout him out too, because I do think he's gotten a lot of crap from a fan base, and I think early in the season he didn't play very well, but I think as he's gotten more... Uh, comfortable. I think he he's played a lot better, and I think they've got a pretty, you know, good core four guys there. I think Steel Chambers is a guy you see it more and more every week. But you know, he's a guy that looks like as he gains experience, he can be a star at that linebacker position. I thought Cody Simon and the Pro Football Focus grades did back this up. I think he probably had his worst game against Indiana. He he made some mistakes on uh, that opening drive where Indiana scored a touchdown, but. You expect all those guys to have their ups and downs. They're all still pretty inexperienced, but I think we've seen enough from all four of those guys that are playing consistently at linebacker to feel pretty good about where they're at. I mean, again, I still don't think Ohio State is a great linebacker core, but I think you can feel a lot better about where they're at at that position than we could after the first few games of the year. And I think all across the defense now, I I think that's a big thing we're seeing is you know, it feels like they're building depth across the board on the defense and guys are settling more and more into roles. I mean, you mentioned it at Bullet. I mean, Ronnie Hickman's been excellent all year and it feels like Court Williams has really solidified himself as another guy who can play there. You know, at corner, you know, Seven Banks seems to be getting better by the week. Cam Brown also got back in there and played a lot against Indiana. It feels like, you know, they're getting there now to where they have, you know, three corners who are, you know, starting to establish themselves as a rotation there. You know, safety. I know Bryson Shaw is another guy that takes a lot of crap from a fan base, but I think he's been decent. I, I think I think he's another guy that's been getting better as they go. They're, they still seem to be experimenting with those safeties a little bit. Like, Lathan Ransom was backing up Bryson Shaw for a couple games. Against Indiana, they moved him back to cover safety. Cam Martinez actually got some snaps at free safety. So it does seem like they're still experimenting a little bit with those positions in terms of you know how exactly the depth chart stacks up there. Marcus Williamson did make his second consecutive start at cover safety, so he seems to be the top guy there right now. But you know, I think it's still a little bit subject to change if those other two safety spots other than the bullet, but I think across the board, you can feel a lot better about this team having two or three guys at every position now that have gotten enough experience where you feel like those guys can play and there isn't there isn't one position on this defense now that is just like a clear obvious liability that everybody's going to attack. There's certainly plenty of room for growth still on the defense, but there's not any one area where it's like this is, is such an obvious weakness 
that they have to fix. Dan, I think we've said just about all we can say about the Indiana game in particular. Let's look ahead now to a game that I think a lot more people are interested in watching, which is, of course, Ohio State-Penn State. Even if a little bit of wind was taken out of the sails of what could have been a top 10 matchup this week, because, of course, as many of you will know, an absolutely wild game broke out at Penn State this past weekend, a nine-overtime affair, the longest game in FBS history in terms of the amount of overtimes. Of course, the overtime rules were recently changed, so it ended up being not the, the typical college overtime, but instead, after the first three overtimes, I believe, the team just traded off with two-point conversion attempts. I think it was five straight overtimes. Neither team scored at all from the two-yard line. We were, we were losing our minds watching that game on the way, on the way to the Indiana game. And so, yeah, that, that loss for Penn State did take some wind out of the sails, but it will still be a chance for Ohio State to get its first ranked win of the season, which feels crazy to say because we are now winding down the season right now. But Penn State's still number 20 in the country and still probably the toughest test for Ohio State since that week two loss to Oregon, unless you object to that statement, Dan. Yeah, I mean, just first of all, I wasn't actually able to watch the overtime madness as it was happening because I was driving the car while you guys were yelling at your phones watching the game but I, I did see some of a replay on BTN last night and there was just some I mean there was just some horrible offensive execution there just watching watching some of those plays like there were so many plays where the team should have scored and they were just dropping passes and and not making plays so it was not the best display of football I've ever seen it, it was certainly fun to watch I don't know that it would be fun to cover. I, 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 uh, I teased one of the other members of a beat who tweeted something before the game about, uh, you know, sign me up for covering a nine overtime game as the person who's responsible for writing the instant, instant recap for 11 warriors. Do not sign me up for that. Cause that seems like it would be stressful as hell trying to have a story ready at the buzzer, uh, for a nine overtime game. But if, but if you're not actually invested in the game, it, it's it's certainly fun to watch, and I don't know how I necessarily feel about whether going to two-point conversions and the third overtime is really the best way to decide a football game, but it it is fun to watch. Ryan Day did say that his biggest takeaway from watching that game was that he's got to have more two-point plays implemented in case it comes down to a, a, something like that at the end. I'm still a proponent of making Dewan Jones the, the tackle eligible tight end and throwing him the ball in that situation or the quarterback, which would be fun to see. Yeah. I mean, they, I mean, you guys, you guys who follow me on Twitter know every game I, I have to get the video of CJ Stroud throwing the ball to Kyle McCord in warmups. So uh, maybe we can even get some quarterback to quarterback action there uh, for a future uh, overtime two point play. But certainly if you're an Ohio state fan, uh, you're hoping that doesn't come up anytime soon because that would mean Ohio State didn't play well enough to win in regulation. But you look into a game like this week, you've got to be prepared for everything because we've seen the recent history of this Penn State series. There have been pretty much every game dating back to, I think, about 2014 ha- has come down to the wire in this matchup. So you've got to be prepared for everything. And like you said, this matchup certainly doesn't have the same national hype as it would have if Penn State had beaten Illinois. I think college game day probably would have been in Columbus. Now it's not going to be. But like you said, 
this is the first ranked opponent Ohio State will have played since Oregon. If Ohio State wins on Saturday, I don't know that Penn State will be ranked next week, but they are ranked right now. And I do think this is the biggest test since Oregon. I think Penn State is still certainly the best team Ohio State will have played since Oregon. And the big reason for that is the defense. Because if you look at the defensive stats for Penn State, they are fifth in the nation in yards allowed per play. They're sixth in scoring defense. They're third in yards per passing attempt, 15th in passing yards allowed per game, 26th in total yards allowed per game. Now, they've only faced one good offense, Auburn, which is like a top 40 offense, and pretty much every other team they've played, not including Villanova, which isn't even an FBS team, all of the others are ranked like 90th or worse in the country offensively. So, There's no doubt Ohio State's offense will be the best that Penn State has faced and better than most of their opponents by a wide margin. Still, I think you can do the inverse there too and say Penn State's defense is a lot better than these offenses or a lot better than these defenses that Ohio State's offense has been bullying up on the past few weeks. I don't think this is a Rutgers situation where we were looking at some of the Rutgers defensive numbers going into that matchup and saying, oh, wow, could this actually be a very good defense? And, of course, we saw very quickly on in that game that that was not necessarily the case. In this game, I, I wouldn't go that far with with underestimating the defense. I think I think Penn State's defense is definitely going to be the best Ohio State's seen so far. I still don't think, and I'll talk about this when we talk about score predictions and things later, I don't think it's going to be enough to slow down or shut down the Ohio State offense in the same way that Penn State has done to most other teams it's played. But I do think it's going to be the best, the most talented defense that Ohio State's probably played this year, especially given that when Ohio State played Oregon, a couple of the really talented guys on that defense were out of the game for that one. One area, potential area of vulnerability is the fact that last week, Penn State gave up 357 rushing yards to Illinois. Two different guys, I believe, were over 140 yards. They had a 223-yard rusher, and Chase Brown, Illinois, did against Penn State. And of course, when, when Ohio State has a guy like Travion Henderson that's leading the leading college football as a whole in yards per carry, that's not a great stat to have. However, I think they limited the Illinois passing offense to like 38 yards or something like that. So Penn State's going to have some things to throw at this Ohio State offense for sure. The question just becomes, of course, like it has with every team Ohio State's played, can anybody really stop Ohio State's offense? Because it has not looked like that in the last more than a month now. Yeah, I mean, we were talking earlier about Travion Henderson limiting his carries. This is the kind of game where I think we definitely could see Travion Henderson get 25 touches because I, I do think that's the area you look at and go, okay, they they were not great against the run last week. If I wouldn't be surprised if Ohio State tries to establish the run early and, and tries to see if that offensive line and, and Travion Henderson can take over the game. Because I, I, I do think that is the potential area of vulnerability here. Again, I think, you know, you look at Penn State's passing stats, they haven't faced an offense like C.J. Stroud and Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and Jackson Smith and Jigba. So I don't think they're going to be able to shut down Ohio State's passing offense the same way they have other teams. At the same time, I don't think it's going to look as easy for C.J. Stroud as it has the past few weeks. I think this is going to be a bigger test for for C.J. Stroud and and even for those receivers because I think Penn State has a really good secondary. Uh, they have a good pass rush. And so th- this is, this is going to be a bigger test. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Question is, 
can Penn State do enough on defense to give its offense a chance? Because Penn State's offense has issues. Penn State has averaged just 21.2 points per game against Power 5 opponents. Sean Clifford, James Franklin did say Tuesday that he thought Sean Clifford would be 100%. He certainly didn't look 100% against Illinois, so we'll see on Saturday if he actually is. Regardless of Sean Clifford's health, this is a team that ranks 84th in total offense this year. It's 100th in rushing offense and 99th in rushing yards per attempt with only 3.5 yards per carry. And so Penn State has not been able to establish the run that's made them reliant on Sean Clifford. And if Sean Clifford's less than 100%, you know, this, this, this is an offense that has not been playing well for Penn State. And again, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm still not at the point where it's like, I go into a game super confident that Ohio State's defense is going to shut the opponent down. Like I'm just, I, I'm still not, I'm still not there or even really close to there yet. But I, I also think, you know, for this Penn State team to score a lot of points, it, it's going to need to play a lot better than it has, especially in the last few games. Some of Penn State's rushing numbers are just, let's be honest, flat out disgusting. And here's what I'm saying. Noah Kane, the leading rusher for Penn State, has just 245 yards a season. The leading rusher for the Nittany Lions is averaging just 3.1 yards per carry. That's not a very good stat, let's be honest here. And Sean Clifford, of course, he's had injury issues, got banged up in the Iowa game. He hasn't thrown for even 200 yards, I think, since they played Villanova, as a matter of fact. However, they've still got some pieces in that pass attack that Ohio State fans will remember not so fondly from a season ago that... Halloween night game. Jahan Dotson, of course, who torched Sean Wade and company in that game with 144 yards, three touchdowns. He will be back for Penn State. His numbers don't look quite as gaudy, maybe on a per game basis as they might have last season. However, he's still a guy that Ohio State knows very well is a very dangerous threat. And we really haven't seen the Ohio State secondary tested a whole lot. And a lot of that is a testament to the improvements made. But we will see them go up against a stud wide receiver in this game in Jahan Dotson, even if Penn State has struggled to this point to really make it happen on offense. Yeah, I was looking earlier today, and Bleach Report and Mel Kuyper both ranked Jahan Dotson as a top 16 overall prospect for next year's NFL draft. So this is a guy who's right up there with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson for one of the most talented wide receivers in the country. So that is going to be a test. I think the big question is, can the quarterback at Penn State, that being Sean Clifford, can he, is he healthy enough to be able to play at his best and allow Jahan Dotson to play to his full potential? But this will be a big test. You know, we saw them, we saw Ohio State shut down Ty Freifogel this last week, who had had a huge game against him last year. But obviously, Indiana's quarterback situation was. A total mess. So I do think this will be a big test for the likes of Denzel Burke and, and Seven Banks and Cam Brown. And Parker Washington's another wide receiver for Penn State who's a very talented young player. And so uh, this probably will be the best receivers uh, that Ohio State has faced so far this year. I think that is something to watch there. But you know we've seen this Ohio State defense They've all they they always say 
our number one goal is to stop the run. And they've done a really good job of that in recent weeks. And so looking at what Penn State's done running the ball, I have a hard time believing that Penn State's suddenly going to be able to move the ball consistently on the ground this week. I mean, another amazing stat that we would not have guessed after week two is Ohio State has not allowed a rushing touchdown since the Oregon game. And you just think of an Oregon game where they kept getting gashed on those plays to the, to the boundary with, with C.J. Verdell. And since then, Ohio State has not allowed a, a rushing touchdown. And so the run defense has been great. And to me, I mean, you just go all over the years. Typically, when Penn State's in a situation where it needs Sean Clifford to make big plays for the air to win the game, that's usually not a recipe for success for Penn State. I've, Clifford was playing well, well early in the year, but the last few games of him being banged up, he, he has not played that well. And so I, I think if you're a Penn State fan right now, if you're thinking about the possibility of we're going to need Sean Clifford to have a big game to go win that game, you're probably not feeling too great about that. Let's get into some questions here, Dan, from the 11 Warriors Forum. Gare Bear asks, how much bigger of a threat is Penn State now that they've dropped two games in a row? Kind of a difficult question to ask. You can kind of go both ways with that philosophically. Another thing to point out, kind of in that same vein, is the fact that James Franklin seemed pretty distracted during the press conference on Tuesday. Of course, some USC job floating out there, other head coaching vacancies. Certainly seems like a lot's going on. Is Ohio State catching Penn State at the right time, given all of these kind of things right now, all these factors, or is Penn State more of a threat because Ohio State might be underplaying them now that they've lost to a team like Illinois just last week? Yeah, I mean, it's always hard to guess how a team is going to respond to a loss or not because, you know, teams usually say the same kind of things. You usually don't really know until you actually see them in a game. I don't really buy the theory of they're going to be hungrier because they've lost two in a row because their college football playoff hopes pretty much went up in smoke on Saturday. And so I, I don't really buy this idea that they're suddenly going to play better because they've lost two in a row. I do think that you shouldn't gauge Penn State solely based off the fact that they lost to Illinois because we've seen it with Ohio State before. Sometimes when you have that big game next week, you're looking ahead to the next opponent and you have a trap game. And I think that's what happened to Penn State on Saturday. I, I don't think you can just look at it and say, well, Penn State lost to Illinois. That means they're an awful team and they're not capable of beating Ohio State. I think that would be a mistake if Ohio State were to think that way. And so I, I don't think you should look at Penn State losing to Illinois and just say, this, this is going to be an easy game. Which honestly, and it kind of goes into our next question. Because it feels like, I noticed from talking to other people on our staff and just hearing from Ohio State fans that, I mean, we're a month removed from Ohio State fans being worried that Ohio State would be able to beat Rutgers. And now it feels like the Ohio State fan base is supremely confident that Ohio State is not only going to beat Penn State, but Ohio State's going to blow out Penn State. But... Codizzi, he he came with the opposing view here, and he said, I know we have to convey optimism and portray a general amount of confidence based on the games we just saw, but would either of you guys be surprised if we won the Penn State game 23-17 to and had about 
300 yards of offense or even 33 to 27. He also said, I don't think we are all the way out of the woods yet. The defense hasn't really been tasked with tough outs for the last few games, and that gives our offense and offensive play calling a certain amount of confidence. He said, I'm not ready to crown this team of champions of anything yet. He said, I don't expect you guys to be Danny Downer or Grim Griffin, but couldn't we pump the brakes a bit until we play a team with some balance? I think this is a good point, Codizzi. I mean, would I be surprised if Ohio State only scored 23 points and only had 300 yards of offense? I would be surprised by that. But I wouldn't be surprised if this is a competitive game. And as we get into score predictions and and all of that on the show, I'm going to check right now and see what the line is because the line's been moving up steadily since it was released. It's at 19 points right now. I think I, I saw somewhere of it at some book, Ohio state opened as a 12 and a half point favorite. When I saw the opening line from circus sports on Sunday, it was 15 points and Ohio state has jumped up four points since then, which tells you there's a lot of optimism that Ohio state is substantially better than Penn state and that Ohio state is going to win this game in blowout fashion. I'm going to go no cover on this game, though. I'm, I'm going to – you just look at the recent history between these teams. I mean, I, I'll see if I can look it up here. I think it's been about seven or eight years in a row where it's been – it's been seven years in a row. The last time this game was won in lopsided fashion by either team was in 2013 when Ohio State won 63-14. to Ever since then – the last seven games between these teams have all been decided by 13 points or fewer. And I think it would be fair to say that the gap between Ohio State and Penn State right now probably is a little bit bigger than we've seen in some of these past years. Certainly, I think there's a huge gap between the Ohio State offense and the Penn State offense. And so I think that is reason to be confident that Ohio State is going to win this game on Saturday. But for the reasons that Codizzi outlined, you know, I, I don't think that the offense has really been tested in terms of a competition it's played for the past month. I, I don't you know, I don't see Ohio State dropping another, you know, fifty plus point game. I mean, maybe I'll be proven wrong, but I, I don't know that I necessarily see that happening on Saturday. And I do think Penn State is going to keep this game competitive for at least part of a way. So I'm looking at this as like a 38 to 20 kind of game for Ohio State. I, I think Ohio State will win. I am going to predict that Ohio State wins this game by multiple scores. But if this is a dogfight, as Ryan Day called it on Tuesday, if this is a game that comes down to the fourth quarter and Ohio State needing to make big plays in the fourth quarter as it's had to so many times against Penn State, I would not be surprised. All right, Dan, when you said that you did not you did not think Ohio State was going to cover, I was expecting you to go a little bit closer than for them to win by 18 with the, the cover being 19, of course. But I'm because I, I was going to go the opposite way with things and say I actually would be surprised if we had a 23-17 a game or a game that was that close just because if you look at things on paper right now and just how things have been trending for each team, I would just be really surprised. It's just another one of those games where 
the cer- certain ways that the, the Penn State offense matches up with the Ohio State defense and the fact that, once again, a, a team with a really good defense, we've seen a couple of teams that did interesting things on defense, even if not of the same caliber as Penn State, but they had no ability to shut down the Ohio State offense or even limit the Ohio State offense at all. So even if Penn State can limit the Ohio State offense a little bit, you, have to, you still have to think they're going to put up some points one way or another. I was thinking 41-20, which is only a couple more points than, than you predicted. A huge difference. Right, right, right. But like you said, it, it's you have to take into consideration in some of these kind of historical Big Ten East matchups. And, and of course, you know, Ohio State might not want to admit that it has this rivalry with Penn State. But of course, like you mentioned, in recent years, some of these classic games we've seen between Ohio State and Penn State, sometimes you just got to throw out what's on paper in some of these games. And, and I think that is one thing. If I'm going to be grim Griffin here for a moment, I will say that is the one thing that that's still kind of an X factor on the table is the fact that Ohio state has now been able to build up a lot of confidence on defense and on offense and, and be able to be front runners a little bit in some of these games recently. And we haven't seen them have to really pull themselves out of a hole. Of course, in a couple of games we've seen with Akron, Indiana, they've come down and scored on the first possession. So if you want to say they responded well to that, they, they did. But if we see Ohio state get down, maybe 10 to nothing or something, 14 nothing early are they going to have the resolve to bring themselves back from something like that we haven't seen a lot of that type those type of intangibles in particular we just heard cj stroud say that he was down in the dumps while Ohio State was struggling early on in the season could we see if they get down if he makes a couple of bad plays early how is he going to respond to that he hasn't had to pull himself out of the situations to to get a big win in a big big 10 game like this necessarily so far so those are some things that give me a little bit of cause to pause however i'm still thinking ohio state wins by three touchdowns in this game to be honest i will say i was tempted to change my score prediction and make it more optimistic for ohio state after seeing that james franklin press conference today because that was weird i mean it did (laughs) it, it did feel like james franklin was distracted now there's also a part of him that thinks maybe he's just playing head games with Ohio State here. Maybe that's just what he wants people to think. And ultimately, I think reading into press conferences and changing your score prediction based on press conference comments is usually a bad strategy. And so I'm sticking with the score prediction I had already written down before that of 38 to 20. But you know, to sum up our thoughts here on Penn State, you know, I, I do think it's the biggest Test. I think, like like we talked about, I think you can. You know, if you start with the Akron game to now, I think this is the fifth game in a row where the test gets at least a little bit tougher than the last week. And we've seen them four weeks in a row here. They've passed the test, and they, they've continued to pass the test. So I'm interested to see what it looks like on Saturday. When we're talking about a game against Penn State, passing the test just means winning. And I think... You know, that, I think that's the thing that's like important. Like, don't forget the history of this matchup because I think the expectations of this game have gotten inflated to the point now where if Ohio State only beats Penn State by 10 points, there's going to be angst in the Ohio State fan base about why Ohio State didn't win this game by more. I think that's why you want to be cautious about getting your expectations too high for this game because it's still Ohio State versus Penn State the team that has given Ohio State more trouble than any other team in the Big Big Ten over the past seven years. So 
just got to win. That's the most important thing. But I'm I'm interested to see what it looks like. You know, if, if if Ohio State can continue to roll and make it look easy the way it has the past month, or is Penn State enough of a jump up in competition where we do have to see Ohio State grind it out and have to make those plays in the fourth quarter to go win the game? And the manner in which Ohio State might win this game kind of plays into this other question we have here from Gare Bear, Dan, who asks the winner of Michigan State versus Michigan this weekend, of course, this is an interesting question. Do they jump Ohio State even if Ohio State beats Penn State? Now, my initial reaction to that is we have to see if assuming Ohio State does Penn State, which is a big assumption. That's a big assumption. But assuming Ohio State does beat Penn State, we have to see how they they win over Penn State. If it's a nine overtime, 20 to 18 game, that's a different thing than if Ohio State goes out there and destroys Penn State because in, if it's the latter of those two scenarios, I think Ohio State definitely stays ahead of either Mich- Michigan State or Michigan. But if it's something else and, and, and the winner of that other game destroys the other team, then maybe we're talking about a different situation. But I also don't think it's something that Ohio State fans should really be worried about anyway because, of course, Ohio State's going to play both of those teams. So that pecking order is already going to get sorted out by the end of the season. So it's not really worth, I think, really speculating or being upset about if Michigan or Michigan State was to jump Ohio State, even if they beat Penn State this weekend. Yeah, I I agree with you on all that. I think it does depend on how those games play out. Like I said, I think if Ohio State just rolls over Penn State, they're probably going to stay ahead of whoever wins that Michigan-Michigan State game, I would think. That said, it doesn't matter what the rankings on Sunday say. It matters what the rankings on Tuesday say. Because when we do this podcast next week, we're going to have actual college football playoff rankings to talk about. So those are the ones that are really going to matter. And that's when we'll really, really start talking about what the rankings mean and all of that. And those are going to be very interesting to see a week from now because there's a lot of interesting factors right now that the committee's going to have to consider. You know, how are they going to consider Ohio State versus Oregon. How are they going to consider Cincinnati in this whole thing? How will they consider Michigan, Michigan State? Like you said, doesn't really matter where Ohio State is comparison to Michigan and Michigan State because Ohio State's going to play those teams still. And so that's what's ultimately going to determine how those teams are ranked is who wins those games between Ohio State and Michigan State and Ohio State and Michigan. But it is going to be interesting to see what those rankings look like next week. I will continue to contend what I've said the last couple weeks when this topic has come up, that if Ohio State wins out, I do believe Ohio State will make the college ball playoff. I would be absolutely shocked if it wins out and doesn't make the college ball playoff. I feel like that's worth bringing up again because if Ohio State beats Penn State this week, there's a good chance Penn State won't be ranked in that top 25 next week. Purdue took a loss to Wisconsin, so that likelihood of Purdue being a ranked opponent is now less likely. So I think people see those things and then they see Oregon get a big win over UCLA and they go, okay, like people start to get worried. I I still believe enough is going to happen here over the next six weeks that if Ohio state wins out, it's going to get in. It's just a matter of can Ohio state win out. And this week of course is one of the biggest tests remaining. It is pretty funny. I posted a, a tweet a, a couple weeks ago about it, it was following the Purdue's win over Iowa, of course, when they were ranked number 25, showing the, the rankings of teams that Ohio State still had yet to face. But of course, since then, I think some people predicted Purdue 
was going to be out of the rankings by then. And by then, Penn State obviously drastically dropped to number 20 in the rankings. So that it doesn't look quite as challenging, but it still is, as we know, a loaded schedule the rest of the way for Ohio State. Dan, I don't know if I've got anything else here. We, we've got no more questions from the forum posters today. Anything else you would like to touch on here? Yeah, we- I was going to say we've got about three minutes left here. So we was going to say we could each do one final thought. You have one or you want me to start? I'll, I'll throw to you first, Dan, while, while I uh, get mine together. Well, you know, I, I wrote about this on Tuesday. But, you know, one thing I thought was interesting is just if you look at this season so far and you look at it compared to the 2014 and the 2017 seasons, the resemblances in those seasons are uncanny. I mean, in all three seasons, Ohio State lost its second game of a year against a non-conference opponent in a home game. They then went on to win four games in a row by, well, they, they scored 50 or more points in four games in a row in all three of those seasons between three through seven. Ohio State did it in its last four games. Four years ago, it was also the point where that eighth game of the year was against Penn State, and we saw Ohio State have to make that epic fourth quarter comeback in that 2017 game at the shoe four years ago when the Buckeyes were wearing their gray uniforms. And then the week after that, which is a part nobody wants to hear, was when Ohio State lost uh, 55-24 to to Iowa to uh, end their playoff hopes that year. And I don't bring that up to, to, to say that this team is the same as the 2017 team or whatnot, but I bring it up to, to make the point of that's why you can't take anything for granted with this team because the margin of error is still very thin. You, you look at 2014 and you say that's what's possible for this team. I've said that all along, dating back to when Ohio State lost to Oregon and, and Ohio State fans were ready to jump off the Titanic. That's always still been possible for this team. It is still possible. If this team can keep building the way it's building right now, I think a national championship is within reach for this team. But it, it has to win every game to get there. It has no more margin for error. So I think that's just what makes it so important for this team to go out and play well every week, not get ahead of itself. I still don't think there's any game the rest of the way that you can look at right now and say, that's a for sure win. Write it in Sharpie right now. Ohio State's going to win that game. I think every game left on the schedule is losable if Ohio State doesn't continue to execute as well as it has so far. And that, of course, starts this week. Here's what I got, Dan. C.J. Stroud's Heisman campaign, right? It's been heating up a little bit the last few weeks, but of course it's been against somewhat subpar competition. And of course against Oregon, while C.J. Stroud did throw for a ton of yards, there were still some plays there he probably would like to have back. Could this be C.J. Stroud's first chance to really have a Heisman moment of sorts? And even though he's he's elevated himself to in, in, to some odds makers, the, the second favorite to win the Heisman behind a Bryce Young, could this be the game where he finally gets to really make a splash on the national scene? Because think about it, it's going to be a night game under the lights of the shoe, the all red, the all scarlet color rush uniforms glistening under the lights of the shoe. Night game on ABC, a ranked opponent, a very good defense, a pseudo rivalry in the Big Ten East. 
if he comes out and puts up the same numbers that he's been putting up against some of these other Big Ten teams, I think we could really start seeing his name jump up to, okay, this guy's legitimately going to be in a front runner in the Heisman conversation. I agree. I think this game absolutely has Heisman moment potential. I think if you look at C.J. Stroud's numbers right now, they're as good as any quarterback in the country, and he's playing on a team that's put itself right into that uh, college football playoff race. So those are the pieces of the formula that you need to have a chance to go win the Heisman Trophy. And so playing against a top 10 ranked defense like he's playing this week if he can continue to play against Penn State the way he has in those last few games I think we're absolutely going to be talking next week about CJ Stroud being in the forefront of that Heisman race my final 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 thought Dan is Kevin Harish our co-worker of course posted on Twitter I believe that Penn State was going to be beaten by Ohio State by 45 points I'm interested to see if that actually comes to fruition in his actual staff prediction this week. And if not, I'll be upset. I think it will. I mean, he picked Ohio State to score 69 points last week. So uh, Kevin usually goes pretty big with his score prediction. So I I anticipate that he will uh, go big with his score prediction. But I guess we will see. And we will see how the team looks on Saturday night when Ohio State hosts Penn State at the shoe, 7.30 p.m. ABC We will, of course, be there, and we will be back next week. We're going to have a lot to talk about next week because we're going to have a Penn State game to review. We're going to have the first college football playoff rankings to to talk about. We're going to have a basketball exhibition against Indianapolis to talk about, which means I think we're also going to have to do our draft next week because the season's going to start before our next podcast after that. So we're going to have a loaded show for you next week. Of course, starting with talking about whatever happens this weekend against Penn State. So thank you for listening in once again this week, and we'll talk to you again soon.